Well, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. And today we're going to be talking uh, about a video made by a guy whose channel is called Holy Kool-Aid. Um, as I'm looking through the list for Holy Kool-Aid, I came upon this video about heaven. And the name of the video is Why is Heaven Bad? Um, and as, one of the reasons that I thought it'd be good to respond to this video is because I've gotten a lot of questions lately about heaven. It's really interesting because as I answer atheist criticisms, what comes up in the comments is sometimes stuff related to theology. And that has to do with an internal criticism of uh, the Christian faith. So uh, to let you know, again, to, to reiterate something I've, I've said before, uh, when you're going to do an internal criticism of Christianity or any worldview, um, to see if within itself, if it's coherent. Now, you may not believe, you may ditch the whole thing and say, I don't believe any of this. But if you're doing an internal criticism to see if it's coherent within itself, then you have to, for the purposes of doing that analysis, assume that the whole thing is true to see if it holds water, whether you actually believe it's true or not. And uh, so you could take the Star Wars saga and you could go through and say, okay, let's take Star Wars, for example, and let's just go ahead and grant this entire world that none of us believes actually really exists out there somewhere. And as a big Star Wars fan, that's sad for me to say. But um, let, let's say that uh, when Darth Vader uh, decides to save Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi by throwing the Emperor down a deep, dark hole. Uh, well, I just don't believe that, that that's just, I, I just, that's inconsistent. That's, I don't, I don't believe that would work. Well, you have to look at, you have to assume that the whole worldview there, the whole world there uh, actually is real and then say, is that consistent with what we know about the nature of Darth Vader? Is that consistent with this uh, familial dynamic that's going on there? And you do an internal criticism, whether you believe anything in the story is real or actually happening or not. And if you're an atheist out there, I would invite you, when you look at Christianity, to do an internal criticism to see if it, these things that are theological questions within Christianity actually make sense. So obviously I'm going to get all the comments that say things like, oh, it's just people talking about their favorite comic book characters. It's all fiction. Great. We know that category of persons in the comments section. Uh, have fun. But for those who actually want to do a real analysis to see, does this actually make work, uh, make sense? If I look at it, does it work? then we need to look at something like heaven or hell or any number of things and ask those probing questions. And so we're going to get into those today as he talks about heaven and why he thinks that um, even if you granted Christianity, heaven would not be a good thing. Heaven would be a bad thing. So we're going to listen to what he has to say and make some responses. I want to turn the page and talk about heaven. Assuming that heaven isn't just sitting around for eternity singing holy, 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 but is actually fun, is it still better than death? Okay, uh, I want to start. I know this is stopping really early in the video, but I want to say something about this. As I have preached in, I'm not saying this to brag, it's just the life that I've lived. I've preached in hundreds and hundreds of uh, evangelical churches of various denominations, and I don't know that this is a widespread problem, but I've run into it quite a few times that when people in private conversation with me were just being very honest, we would talk about the nature of heaven and um, the afterlife, and, and I would get the sense, and sometimes people have just outright said it, that, look, man, I don't want to go to hell. I mean, no one who understands what the Bible has to say about hell and actually believes it wants to go to hell. I mean, some people say, I want to go to hell because, you know, that's where all the that's where all the coolest, most interesting people are going to be. Anyone who says such a thing either doesn't know what the Bible actually teaches about hell or doesn't believe it or both. 
But uh, if you understand what the Bible says about hell and you think that it's true, then no one would actually say, I'd rather go to hell. I want to go to hell because that's where the most interesting people are going to be. So most people would say, I don't want to go to hell. But then those same people might say, but I really don't want to go to heaven either. And I know that kind of sounds bad for a Christian to say, but the truth about it is I don't want, I, I, I don't want to go to heaven because, I mean, if I had my way, I would just stay right here on earth um, uh, with some of the problems, my, my current life as is, even some of the aging, and just not ever get into a real serious ordeal of pain, uh, you know, and, and maybe not die. And that, that would make me happy. Uh, but, and, and I've thought about this. Why do some Christians even think this way? And I think the answer must be that certain evangelists, and I've been an evangelist, and certain pastors, and I've been a pastor, have unintentionally given this message that somehow heaven is going to be less than wonderful, less than heavenly. There's not another word for it. And the reason I think they've given that impression is because they have taught that in heaven we will worship God forevermore. And because we'll worship God for, forevermore, uh, certain individuals may get the idea that this is going to be like one massive corporate worship service, like a church service, where we're all going to be bent over really low uh, for all eternity with our nose stuck in the Baptist hymnal um, forevermore. And you better bring a back brace because it's going to be, you know, give, give you back problems. And uh, you might want to bring a magazine or an iPad or something because it's going to be boring. Now, if that's the idea that people have gotten for, about what heaven is like or what the Bible has to say about our life with, uh, with the Lord forevermore, that doesn't sound like the most exciting thing in the world. But if you look at chapter 22 of the book of Revelation, you get a very different picture. Whether you take this as some sort of imagery um, or whether you take it to be a literal description doesn't matter. The point is still there. And so let me read to you. Then he showed me the river of living water, sparkling like crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the broad street of the city on both sides of the river was the tree of life. Bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. So, the Bible gives us a picture of heaven. Again, whether you think this is some sort of biblical imagery or not, I get it. Revelation is has got a couple of different genres of literature going on, and it's tough. But however you understand it, the message is very clear that in God's new creation and in heaven, the new heaven on the new earth, there's going to be a very full lives. I mean, we're going to have a street. What's the street? point of a street? But you're going to travel places on that street, that you're going to go places, perhaps to these other nations on that street. What's the point of a river, but that you might swim in that river or drink from that river? What's the point of a tree, but that you might eat from that tree? Um, there's all kinds of things going on there that seem to indicate that in heaven, we're going to experience a very full and robust experience of life and discovery and exploration. And uh, a lot of it has to be speculative from our perspective now as we think about what that might be like. But uh, when we look at the Bible, the Bible does not give us this picture of being hungered over in a situation of corporate worship forevermore. To worship... Uh, is to live a life of sacrifice. It's to live a life, uh, to, we could say it this way, uh, biblically we could say about worship that it is <clears throat> that it is living your life every moment as in a way that honors God, in, in the way that God would have you to live that life. Um, and so that, that doesn't mean that you're going to have to be in a pew somewhere for all eternity without end. 
so I think that we've given people the wrong impression, uh, the wrong idea. It reminds me of the joke I heard back when you had to get the, you know, growing up in church, I've heard all the preacher jokes. And it reminds me of the one where the guy, the pastor says, how many of you are ready to go to heaven? And uh, I want you to stand up. And everybody stands up except for this little boy. And he, he thought that was strange. So he said, how many of you all want to go to heaven? Stand up. And everyone except the little boy stood up. Well, the pastor knew that the little boy was professing to be a Christian. So he went up to him and he said, what's, what's the problem? Why, why uh, are you uh, not standing up with everybody else? Don't you want to go to heaven? He said, yeah, I mean, I do want to go to heaven one day. But the way you were talking, it sounded like he's getting up a, a truckload to go today, this morning. So you know, I think we've given people the idea that heaven is somehow going to be less than heavenly. And in reality... Uh, the Bible talks about heaven as though it's going to be a very fulfilling and rich and robust life. Um, so I, I thought that that was all very important to, um, to, to mention. So let's go ahead and hear what he has to say next. If heaven is perfect, that means there's no room to grow, no room to improve, no motivation. Sooner or later, you would learn everything that there is to know. Conversation would be meaningless because you would have had every possible combination of conversations with every single possible person multiple times. There would be no point in asking a question. You would already know the answer. There would be no point in asking someone how they're doing, because there's no sickness and there's no pain, and the answer would always be the same. Okay, let's stop right there. And um, I've only watched this video once, so I, I may he may say the same thing as he goes on. But uh, what, I, what I want to point out here is he's making a lot of assumptions about heaven. Notice the assumptions that he's making. Number one, he's making, and this is the fundamental assumption that has to be pointed out if we're going to respond to this video properly. And that is that he's assuming that when we get to heaven, we're suddenly going to have, boom, godlike omniscience about everything. Does the Bible teach any such thing? Well, somebody's going to have to show me where it does. Now, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things that we will know that we didn't know before. Uh, we're going to have experiential knowledge of living a glorified life in the sense that we are living a sinless life. More on that in just a few moments. But wh where's the, this idea that we're going to know everything there is to know about the physical universe? And so the quest for knowledge has to stop. The exploration has to stop. Um, asking, uh, Talking to other people and asking questions has to stop. Now, he did say something that, that makes me think maybe he was going a little bit further with that, which is given enough time, wouldn't you then know everything that there is to know? I mean, after all, uh, it, given enough time, even if we're talking about trillions and trillions of years, you would have gotten all that knowledge at some point. I mean, if this thing stretches out forever into the future, at some point, wouldn't you know everything? Well, maybe it's an odd concept, but perhaps I get what he's saying there. Uh, however, this also makes another assumption that the end of creation is going to be reached. I mean, after all, when you are in the presence of a creator, then there's no end to what could be made so that more could be explored, right? I mean, this is just silly. Also, this whole notion of boredom uh, and 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 getting you know get, getting uh, to a point of where you're finding heaven to be mundane um, is is just a, an idea that uh, us earthly humans have. You know, it's kind of like uh, a kid asking, "Is there going to be candy in heaven?" And you say, well, I don't know, maybe not, which I think probably there's going to be candy in heaven. But you say, there's, there's, is there going to be candy in heaven? You say, I don't know. Well, then it's not going to be heaven. Or maybe my favorite dog isn't going to be in heaven. Oh my gosh, it's not going to be heaven. This is such a uh, sort of 
truncated and narrow view for us finite creatures. I understand that it seems that way to us, but to understand the glory of uh, God's presence and the joy of being in his presence and the joy of our salvation, uh, these ideas such as getting bored to the point that you wish you could die are a bit silly. And again, we're going to talk more about that in just a few moments. But the simplest answer to this question is, if you have a creator in heaven, then there doesn't have to be an end to the questions that you ask. And as long as you understand that we're not necessarily suddenly omniscient, then yeah, you can have lives of inquiry and discovery. And, you know, I often hear people say, and this will sound a bit silly, and I don't mind that. Some people will say, you know, uh, sure, the, our universe seems incredibly designed for life, but only in this one little speck in a vast cosmos, uh, the most of which is hostile to life. Yeah, and you know what? Right now, this side of heaven, we're actually trying to explore that cosmos. We're trying to uh, go to Mars, for example, and that's such a small jump in the vast scope of the created universe. Why should that sort of an exploration stop when we get to heaven? I mean, that is there is a vast universe that could still be the subject of our scientific investigation. I really just think that people, you know, it's kind of like what uh, I think Jerry Walls recently said on uh, Capturing Christianity. He said, this speaks more to someone's imagination than it does anything else. Like, you understand if you ask a speculative question, you're going to get a speculative answer. And this is a speculative answer. But the answer is you know, this is just uh, reveals that, do you not have the imagination to think about these categories? I actually think what's probably happened in this guy's case and happens in the cases of a lot of Christians is they've been told that they'll have the mind of Christ when they get to heaven. And so they interpret that to mean when I get to heaven, I'm just going to know everything. And uh, this sort of a thing is a kind of a Sunday school sort of a idea that, that we should maybe uh, not, we should maybe probe that further. So anyway, uh, there's some initial answers. Yes, there can be ongoing discovery, ongoing learning, ongoing relationship building when we get to heaven. There would be no exchange of information because you would know everything. There would be no juicy gossip, no drama, because there's nothing bad that anyone does ever. And okay, uh, a couple of things about this. First of all, I did mention I didn't mean to mention that he said, "Well, you'd never have you'd never be able to ask how are you doing because the answer would always be the same. I'm fine. I'm in perfect health." Um, this this may sound odd, but. Though I believe in the supernatural and I believe that we're going to have glorified physical bodies in heaven and, and it's going to be a new creation, you know, the, the, the cosmos is going to be uh, resurrected, as it were, or recreated. One thing that we need to understand about all of this is we might need to have an earthier view of heaven, actually. We've seen so many glorious paintings and all that that we almost make heaven out to be some kind of a Disney film, film when it's a bit more uh, realistic, frankly, than that. I mean, uh, I don't know that when, the, uh, first of all, I do believe we're going to serve and we're going to have work and we're going to have jobs to do in heaven. And so that feeling at the end of the day of, uh, of, of, of having exerted yourself and worked your muscles after a long day of work, that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. And so uh, that's a good that I think will be there in heaven. And so how are you doing? Uh, uh, man, I just did this incredible job and now I'm, uh, I, I'm going to relax and, 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 and rest. But secondly, why do you need someone to be sick and have a bad day to have this strange joy of asking them how they're doing and having them tell you that they're not doing well? I mean, what are you looking for there? The idea that you have to have that level of pain and suffering in order for there to be some kind of, uh, 
some kind of strange good in asking people how they're doing. You can still be, I think what he wants to hit at is, can you still care about other people and, and be concerned with other people and what's happening in their lives and those sorts of things. You can still have that in heaven. I, I just, again, I think these are kind of Sunday school reflections on uh, a kind of a surface level understanding of what heaven might be. And because there's no evil, there's ultimately no, or at least very little free will. Okay, we need to talk about free will, but uh, first of all, this idea that because there won't be evil in heaven, then we'll be missing certain goods. Uh, you can have goods in heaven after death and evil has been conquered without the need for evil. I think that we can still uh, hear stories and tell stories of harrowing tales and things like that. That's part of the good that comes out of the life that we have right now on earth. However, <coughs> This idea that without evil, we can't have free will in heaven uh, opens up a big discussion that I want to have right now. So um, Christian philosophers have tried to think about what it would be like to have this experience in uh, heaven where, yeah, there's going to be no more sin. And if there's no more sin, doesn't that mean that there's not the possibility of sin, which means is it, aren't there some freedoms that have been prohibited from us? That's an interesting question, and uh, Christian philosophers have gone about it in a few different ways. I'm going to cover three ways they've gone about it. One way they've gone about it is to say that in heaven, uh, you'll be able, you'll have the free will to to do anything you want, except sin. Sin will be the one thing that is removed from the equation. Uh, so, for example, let's imagine uh, that it, that uh, if we could, rem like, if we suddenly let's let's imagine that we pushed a button right now and all Coca-Cola products were gone from Earth, you'd still have the freedom to do whatever you want, except drink Coca-Cola because there simply is no such thing. And it's not that you're not free; it's just that there's one less thing for you to engage in or to enjoy. Uh, we would still say such a person is free. We would just say that Coca-Cola doesn't exist anymore. And some Christian philosophers have said, well, maybe it is the case with sin. Maybe you'll still be able to do whatever you want. It's just that one less thing is available to you, and that is sinful activities. Now, I, I think that's interesting. I see a problem with that. And the problem with that is sin doesn't seem to be uh, an object or uh, one sort of an thing or, or a, a phenomenon like Coca-Cola where you could just make it all disappear and then you couldn't have it anymore. To, the choice to obey God is an everyday choice with uh, thousands upon thousands of different opportunities to obey or disobey God. So the idea that in heaven you would be free, but the very option not to disobey God wouldn't be there is a bit odd. And it has meant that a lot of Christian philosophers have opted for a second choice. The second choice is that a form of determinism would exist in heaven. Now, it may shock some of you who are who believe in libertarian freedom as I do, but maybe I should back up and explain uh, the different uh, available options to those who want to consider uh, the nature of human freedom. So on one end of the spectrum, uh, not that there is a spectrum, one option is what we might call libertarian freedom. And libertarian freedom says that you really are able to make a choice between two or more options, or we could say in a different way that you are the originator of your actions and that nothing outside of you, nothing external to you, determined that you would do whatever it is that you end up doing.
so on that view, the fact that you decided to listen to this podcast or this video right now, uh, that you really were free to have not done that, probably. that That's the libertarian freedom view. Now, um, within that view, there is soft libertarianism and hard libertarianism. Soft libertarian freedom says we do have influences. Um, so if I, the one I always use is if I go into a room and I see, uh, an apple pie over here and I really want that apple pie. And then I see, you know, the treadmill over here on this side of the room and I want to get in shape and lose weight and all those things. I, I am, I have a choice there I, I, and I'm influenced in both directions. I'm influenced bef- toward the apple pie because of the instant gratification. Want to put some ice cream on it, stick it in the microwave for about five seconds. Get that. You know, I'm just, I'm thinking about it right now. I'm, I'm having apple pie later, I think. At least that's an influence on me. So there are influences coming from that direction. There are also influences coming from the other direction, and that is the treadmill, because I want to look a certain way. I want to be in better health. I want to be able to play with my grandkids one day and all those kinds of things. So I'm influenced in both directions. But the soft libertarian says, even though you do have those influences, you're free to choose among those influences and make a real choice, a bona fide free choice. That's libertarian freedom. On the other end of the spectrum, you have what is called determinism. Determinism says that really, honestly, that free will doesn't exist. Um, That free will is an illusion. I actually debated a guy one time who said, free will is an illusion. You can go listen to my debate with Joe Myra on uh, braxzenner.com slash debates. So uh, even though you feel like you're making real choices and you feel like you made a free choice to uh, listen to this video right now, you really didn't. Deep down, uh, that is the result of your uh, uh, brain states that are reducible to your neural activity that's reducible to your biology that's reducible to things that were happening before you were ever born. So that the universe is like a chain of dominoes. The past history of the universe, your past life experiences, the formation of your neural structures uh, to what we call your choices, but it was all determined and could not have been otherwise. By the uh, by, the way, if you're, a, if you're an atheist, I see no escape. If you're a naturalistic atheist, at least, I see no escape from philosophical determinism. Now, in the middle between those two options, and it's really not, it's really not in the middle, but there is what is often thought of as a middle of the road option between libertarian freedom and hard determinism, and that is compatibilism. And good compatibilists know it's really not a middle of the road. They outright reject libertarian freedom and and anything like it. But what they do affirm is they affirm determinism, just as I just described it, but they use the language of free will because they'll say things like um, that you're free to do whatever you want to do. So whatever you end up doing, that's what you most wanted to do. Right, So in that sense, you're free. And what more do you want than the freedom to do whatever you want? The problem is that those wants are determined by your brain states, which are determined by your neural activity, which is determined by your biology, and right on back, it's dominoes all the way back again. So compatibilists recognize that. They recognize that it is determinism. But uh, they think that because you're free to do whatever you want to do, that that's all, that gets you everything you want about uh, free will. And so they still use the language of free will. Some Christians, some Christian philosophers, by the way, there are a lot of Christian determinists. They're called Calvinists. And as I've said many times before, though I think the determinism is false, I would much rather you become a Calvinist and be a Christian than to remain an atheist or an agnostic or a deist or whatever you are. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, some Christian philosophers, even the ones Many of them who affirm libertarian freedom in the here and now, that you really are free in the most meaningful sense of the word, that when you get to heaven, you're going to have this compatibilism. 
where you'll be free to act consistent with your nature, but you, but, but you really aren't free to choose among two or more options. Uh, and you're not really the originator of your actions. Uh, something external to you has determined ultimately what you're going to do. So some have opted in that direction and that may be the case. I don't think so, but that may be the case. A third option that's on the table, I think, is uh, that you that you will have libertarian freedom in heaven, and it's not. And this will make some people, some Christians, uncomfortable. But I don't know why it should. That it is theoretically possible that you actually could sin. That 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 is. It's not like that's like a philosophical impossibility. But no one ever will, and the idea is absurd for the following reasons. So I have two daughters, and each of them, when they were about three years old. Uh, in, or maybe younger than that, two years old, something like that, in the backyard would take sand out of the sandbox and put it in their mouth because kids put everything in their mouths. Uh, some of them don't ever stop like me. And then you have a weight problem, but they, they take sand and put it in their mouth. And of course that that's disgusting. And they try to spit it back out. And, and you know what, that, that is a, that, that is a thing that I've never seen an adult person willingly do unless on some reality show, they're being offered $50,000 for it. Right. I mean, uh, they needed, they, they tasted that sand out of the sandbox one time and they never have to taste that sand or dirt ever again. And you know what? I am not going to have too many sleepless nights, I don't think, when my daughters are 35 years old, worrying that, oh my gosh, what if they're out there somewhere eating sand? Oh my gosh, what if they slipped back into that two-year-old sand habit they once had? Are they out there eating sand somewhere? And what's that going to do to their digestive system? Now, is it philosophically impossible that they could take sand in their hand at 35 years old and put it into their mouth? No, it's not philosophically impossible. But they won't, and the very idea of it is absurd. In a certain respect, when we get to heaven, and we do have the mind of Christ in the sense that we see things the way that he does, and we recall our sinful lives here on earth, even the very best people, the most moral and ethical people on planet earth, have committed sin, and we understand what it is, and then we'll understand it like we never have before. And you know what? At that point, I think it'll be like eating sand. I think that it's reasonable to say it's not that it's philosophically impossible that you might sin, but it would be like asking the question, can you eat sand? It's the very idea is absurd. And uh, no, you're not ever going to do that. And of course, scripture tells us or indicates at least that no one ever will do that because of all the wonderful things about heaven. So I think uh, I think that's the option that I opt for, but I could be wrong. But the point is, it, you could still have free will on that view. And you wouldn't have sin. And the idea that if you don't have, if, if what he means by this is if you don't have evil, then you don't have free will. And if he's trying to indicate somewhere in that, and I don't know that he is, but I'm just trying to cover my bases, that the very best sort of thing that, that we could do, like the most enjoyable things are the sinful things, uh, misses the point. It, just because you won't sin doesn't mean you won't still have incredible, wonderful things that you can do and enjoy doing that are not sinful. Listen, the Christian life is not about taking fun away. The Christian life is not about getting fun. The Christian life is not necessarily about your happiness. Uh, you end up getting a lot of happiness, certainly in heaven and often in this world. But that's not what the Christian life is about. But it's not about taking away fun things from you. It's not. Often I see in society, it's, it's preached as though that when you get to heaven, uh, you know, uh, or, or that the Christian life is all about taking away things like your sexual freedoms and getting to live a fulfilling sexual life. Uh, two things about that. Number one, no one on planet Earth is as sexually fulfilled as they would like to be. 
<laughs> no one is, right? There, there's always uh, the desire for more or for something else. No one is ultimately sexually fulfilled. So if you're not sexually fulfilled, that's everybody on planet Earth to the degree that we would like to be. Uh, secondly, um, uh, the Christian life is much more sexually fulfilling, I would argue. Um, it's just that uh, we, you know, it's like if I, this is to use an old like youth pastor type example, and I don't care, I'll be your stereotype. When, when, you know, fire is not a bad thing. Fire is a good thing. But if you're starting little fires all around my living room, I'm going to see that as a major problem. And I'm not trying to repress your use of fire or restrict your use of fire to say, Fire should be in the fireplace because that's where we can enjoy it the best. And I think that sexuality within Christianity is the best because we are uh, doing it in the context that is pleasing and glorifying to God. Uh, but we are all uh, sexual sinners. We all have uh, these mistakes. But in heaven, just because you won't have the option for certain wicked and sinful activities doesn't mean you won't have fulfilling and enjoyable uh, lives in heaven. I just don't get it. Let's keep going. If there is a hell, is heaven really heaven? If you spend eternity knowing that your loved ones are writhing in pain in hell while you're eating pancakes for the 800 billionth time, there are no new accomplishments because everything has already been done. Okay, he's going on to something else now. Uh, so let's, let's talk about this one for a second. So the nature of hell. Um, yeah, the nature of hell is uncomfortable. It's something that does not sit well with most Christians as it's typically believed by the vast majority of Christians on planet Earth today. I, I grant that. But you know what? It's kind of like um, someone said in a video, I think the Friendly Atheist said, well, it's just like God, your, your interpretation of the Bible always seems to agree with what you want it to say or something like that. No, actually, there are things in the Bible that I don't like. But you know what? It doesn't matter what I like. It matters what's true. And the fact of the matter is, there are certain things in this world that I don't like. I don't like that cancer exists. But my denying that cancer exists would not help me at all. I mean, I might become a smoker, and then I might get cancer. And my denial of the existence of this terrible thing that I wish didn't exist would actually put me in a worse situation. Like, I'm not safe because I deny it. Um, and there are things about the nature of reality that exist that I don't like, and hell is one of those things. I don't like that there's going to be a hell. Uh, however, uh, that's a different question. My emotional problem with hell is a different question from whether uh, God's justice, uh, his love and his justice and all of that makes sense of uh, this idea of hell. Let me give you an example. I didn't come up with it, but I don't remember where I got it. So let me let me give it to you. Let's imagine that my neighbor next door um, has a cat that is whining in my window all the time. And I put it up with it for a long time. And then ultimately, I, I just lose myself and I go outside and I strangle the cat. Now, I would never do such a thing. And I love animals. And I used to own a cat. And I am not in favor of hurting animals. But I don't know what the punishment for that would be for killing a cat. Uh, in cold blood. Uh, maybe I have to spend the night in jail. Maybe I have to go to prison for a short time. Maybe there's a fee that I have to pay, a fine. I don't know what the penalty is for cats because I usually don't strike that. I never kill cats, all right? But there's a penalty. And let's imagine that I go out and strangle my neighbor, um, the man that lives across the street. Now, what what's going to happen to me? I'm going to go to prison maybe for the rest of my life. I might receive capital punishment. Uh, why? Because we recognize our own internal sense of justice that is intuitive to us. And you sitting there right now, you recognize is intuitive within you, tells you that there is a penalty for sinning against an animal, so to speak, that may be substantial, but is not on the level, and I'm sorry you that are PETA fans out there, that is not on the level of killing a human being. 
his the the just penalty for that may be my own life. Okay. Uh, so stair stepping that up, you can probably see where this is going. What would the just penalty then be for sinning against an everlasting God? Would the penalty not be everlasting? I'm not asking you if you feel good about it. I'm asking you, do you recognize the stair step of intuitive justice that I think a light bulb goes off in your head when you consider this, the penalty for sinning against an everlasting God would justly be an everlasting penalty. But here's the beauty of it. We may have to pay that everlasting penalty without Jesus. But if an everlasting person could die and pay the penalty for our everlasting sin such that we could escape that everlasting penalty because he paid it for us, well, then we have the gospel, don't we? And that's exactly what uh, God did for us in Jesus. An everlasting person paid the everlasting penalty so that we could enjoy the wonder and beauty of the kingdom everlastingly. Now, uh, does that mean that you would still feel good about it if you're in heaven? Well, a couple of other things about that. There are various understandings of what hell, what the nature of hell is. There are four terms that are used. Uh, they're translated hell in most English translations of the Bible, which I think is a travesty. We should translate these words. The, the, the biblical authors use different words for a reason. You have Sheol um, in the Old Testament specifically. You have Hades in the New Testament. You have... Um, uh, you have Gehenna and you have Tartarus. And these things can mean different things. And we need to understand that. We have two episodes on the nature of hell on Trinity Radio. And I encourage you to go back and listen to those. And you'll hear all the, or at least the most predominant uh, evangelical, conservative, theologically conservative evangelical positions on hell. But among those who take what is called the traditionalist view of hell, which does teach that it is some sort of eternal conscious separation from God, of those people, yeah, there are some that take the language of, say, Mark chapter 9, where Jesus is talking uh, about the fire that's never quenched and the worm that doesn't die and all of those things, which uh, some will argue is imagery that's being used, that's apocalyptic imagery like that of the prophets in the Old Testament about Israel. But the fact of the matter is, some would take that to be very literal and say, so it's going to be literal flames forevermore. Um, billions and billions of years, your face melting off, and then you're just getting started. You know, there are people who hold that position. The, there's a lot of people who hold the position today. And I'm, again, I'm talking about conservative people today who hold the position that 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 fire language is imagery. That's that's honor shame language from the ancient Mediterranean world for shame and judgment. But that you you are going to have an actual conscious existence, but it's not it's not going to be this this horrible you know, fire sort of thing forevermore. And then there are people, uh, as we just had Chris Date recently on our show, just a few episodes ago from Rethinking Hell, he holds to what is called the conditional immortality view or the annihilationist view, which says that you're going to suffer commensurate from your crimes and then you're going to die and you won't be conscious anymore. Now, the very fact that the possibility of the eternal conscious torment view is there, I, I think that that is powerful, and I don't want to water it down at all. However, there are various views on this issue. Um, so in heaven, uh, how, how do you reconcile that? Well, we'll see judgment and, uh, and, and justice the way that God does. And by the way, you'll recall that I've said in the past that um, an, un, to understand God's nature, you can't just emphasize his love to the exclusion of his justice. Because if we were to catch some war criminal and just give them a hug and say, we love you, don't do it anymore. 
That may seem loving. I would argue that it's not, but that may seem loving, but it would not be just. And a good God must be a just God. So there are various options on the table when it comes to the nature of hell. So uh, when it comes to our view of hell from heaven, it's difficult to say what it'll be. But I can tell you this much. We will have the mind of Christ insofar as we will understand justice and love and mercy the way that he understands them. And uh, I think that as far as that goes, I think that it will still be heavenly. Let's keep going. There's no sense of urgency because there is no death. Sure. The first oh, he says there's nothing to accomplish and there'll be no sense of urgency. Well, I don't know about that. There may still be deadlines and <laughs> things that we want to get done at a certain period of time. Uh, and this goes back again to this whole thing that perfect actually means imperfect. Notice, I mean, throughout this video, that's kind of what he's arguing. He's saying a perfect heaven entails things being imperfect and not in the sense of a logical contradiction, but in the way he's defining perfection and the way he's defining perfection is everything that can be built is built. Everything that can be discovered has been discovered. Everything that can be learned has been learned. There's, we have all world knowledge. We are all omniscient. And these are things that the Bible simply doesn't teach. We may have building programs. We may have scientific discoveries. And in doing those things, we may end up having to uh, ha having deadlines that we want to get to. Urgency is not necessarily a bad thing. So let's keep going. A million years or so might be fun, but after a hundred trillion years and counting, you're just getting started. And in this scenario, there is no way out. No peaceful death, no simple non-existence, no way to terminate your own consciousness. And after a while, even your 70 virgins become a boring routine. Okay, the 70 virgins thing isn't something that I'm necessarily interested in, and I don't believe that's a part of the picture of heaven. That's from a different religion. But the fact of the matter is, uh, I say that a lot, don't I? The fact of the matter is, somebody put it on a t-shirt, uh, and, and you can sell it and keep the profits for yourself. But the fact of the matter is, um, you're, again, you're picturing heaven being perfect, and by perfect, you mean in some sense, mundane or boring, or at least at some point will become mundane and boring. But again, uh, you know, there are people that say right now, I've run into people who say right now, well, I don't want to, I don't want to live forever. I don't I, like when we're talking about extending a current physical life with new medical endeavors and things like that, aging treatments. So I don't, who would want that? I don't want to live to be 120 years old, man. I, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather be done with all this. Okay, those people that talk that way, I, I think would be among the first underneath the table in a bomb scare. I mean, or someone comes into the room with a gun, yeah, you're going to hit the floor. Why? Because we have this intuitive desire to live. We have this longing for life that isn't ultimately satisfied here on earth. It will be ultimately satisfied in heaven. And frankly, I also want to say this. This is a real speculation. You may think that in a million years, you'll wish to die. But do you know that for sure? Well, of course you don't. You haven't lived a million years. You don't know what it would be like to die, to want to die. And often the people that, that and I, don't, I want to be cautious here, but often when people crave death in this world, it's because of some 
uh, horrible tragedy or depression or something has gone horribly wrong in their lives that they can't face another day. And listen, if that's you out there, I do not believe that ending your life or desiring the end of your life is something that God has for you. I think that um, you can find fulfillment in Christ. And I encourage you, if you're watching this, to reach out to me, reach out to others, uh, because you serve a, the, a God who is a, a living God, and he is the God who loves life. And uh, so I encourage you to, to contact us. Listen, whenever you're thinking that way, you're not thinking clearly, and you should never make major life decisions when you're not thinking clearly. But the fact of the matter is, there it is. The fact of the matter is, you, when people crave death, it's either because of something like that, something psychological that's gone horribly wrong, emotional that's gone horribly wrong, perhaps spiritual that's gone horribly wrong, or they're in terrible physical pain. None of that will be a part of the picture in heaven. So take all of that away and ask yourself, am I going to want to die after millions of years of living in a paradise? You have no way of knowing and all signs point to no. So let's keep going. It would be fantastic to expand human life to an extent. To have healthy minds and bodies to continue to grow and learn and discover new things. But how much is too much? And how long of a life is too long? Let's not get greedy. At some point, well, we're not being greedy. Uh, we didn't offer this to ourselves. God offered this to us. Okay, uh, But how long is too long? How much is too much? Uh, that's the question that we're saying you can't answer yourself because you haven't lived long enough to know at what point, yeah, I'm done. I'd, I'd rather not be here. Just because of pure boredom, not because of bad stuff going on in your life or external to your life, just of pure boredom in paradise. Yeah, I'm done. I, I don't, I don't think so. I think we'll have that childlike joy. You know how when you go to some theme park as a kid or the fair or you go uh, or you have Christmas morning and all that and you, and you as a kid you just never wanted it to end. There's a there's a level of joy, pure childlike joy that many adults don't have. And I think it's found in Christ, uh, in the joy of your salvation. And in heaven, I think we'll be like kids. We're going to, we're going to, does it really have to end? And after a billion years, we're going to, oh, man, this is just so amazing. Do, do we really have to see it end? And the answer will be no. You don't have to see it end. You can enjoy your God forever. At some point in your life, you're going to feel old. And even if you maintain your health, you're going to get tired of hearing the same jokes, going through the same routines, and having the same food again and again, day after day. Yeah, this is like he thinks he's going to be in the presence uh, everlastingly of a guy making dad jokes. I mean, seriously, there are going to be new stories. There are going to be new jokes. There are going to be new wonderful things to experience. Again, this is this idea of you're going to instantly have omniscience and you're going to have a limited amount of stuff to enjoy and explore. And if that happens to you in this hundred year lifespan that we live, how on earth do you think we're going to feel for eternity? And while the urge to avoid death is what has kept our species alive, when you take it to its extreme, it's a real nightmare. And in the now notice the nightmare that he gave you was an old broken down shack. Is that the picture we're getting? Now, I want to notice something about the pathos being used here. Um, notice that he's he's talking real slow. Just imagine. For, I'm not mocking you. I'm not trying to make fun of you. But but this, this real serious, um, just think what it's going to be like forever. And isn't it more beautiful this way? And all these kind of things. I, I hear that sort of thing a lot. And uh, it's emotional. And it's, it's, uh, it sounds poetic. 
but it's based on speculation and misinformation. If we correct those things, then I don't think we have these problems. I don't think there are problems. It's like he doesn't actually see a real problem with this. He says, if I imagine that we're omniscient, and if I imagine we've heard all the jokes, and if I imagine that eternity is going to be like this broken down old shack instead of glory, then yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not that impressed and I'd rather it end. Well, yeah, but it's not like that. Eternal setting. Eventually, sex becomes stale, food becomes bland, relationships become boring, and all things that once mattered to you have long since... Assuming that there aren't going to be new things, better things, new foods, uh, combinations that you haven't yet experienced. It's been checked off your to-do list. Life is a blessing. But after you've long since done everything you care to do... Why do you believe that there'll ever be a time where we reach the end of everything we care to do? I mean, after all, think about your life in the here and now, right now. If you're an adult, um, as you have progressed throughout your life so far, there were things you wanted to do when you were 10 years old that right now you don't care to do those things ever again. There were things you wanted to do at 25 that you never care to do again. Things you thought were cool back then that you don't think are cool now. It's one of the reasons I never got a tattoo is the stuff I thought was cool when I was 18. I don't think it's cool right now. So I probably would have made a bad choice. You know, uh, the, as you grow, your desires change and your desires towards certain areas of exploration and interests change. When I'm a billion years old, am I going to have the same interests that I do right now? Probably not. I probably won't have any need for apologetics to, to do this sort of thing or do evangelistic work. I'll have other interests and other things that, that I look, get out of bed in the morning excited to do. So, you know, I, I, I think that this, again, is not being reflective on our current experience enough and not using your imagination enough to think of, well, yeah, but is that really the way it has to be, the way I'm describing it? Death and non-existence are a blessing, too. If you're lucky enough to be born on this world, do you want to seize the day and appreciate your accomplishments and be grateful for the short life that you got to live? Or do you want to throw away your potential in pursuit of a non-existent afterlife, illogically hoping for something that's not even better and that will never come? Okay, first of all, that's a loaded question. I don't believe that it's a non-existent afterlife. And secondly, even if the, the, the loaded question wasn't there and he said, would you rather live for the here and now or worry about heaven or you know, focus on storing up treasures in heaven? Well, ultimately, what I want to do is to live a life now that glorifies God in light of heaven, but it's a non sequitur. Why does my life right now have to not be fulfilling? I think the Christian life is incredibly fulfilling. I don't know what you're talking about. It, it doesn't have to be an either or. Yeah, there are certain things that I won't do uh, here on earth, but it seems like overwhelmingly those things that I won't do because I'm a Christian, in most cases, it's actually pretty good for me that I don't do those things, even if it ends up there isn't a God. Uh, but thankfully there is. So, so the thing I want you to take away from this is Basically, what we got from this guy is, if heaven is the way I imagine it, based on, frankly, some really surface-level stuff, then I don't think I'll like it forever. Well, okay, you're liking it or not liking it has nothing to do with whether it actually exists to begin with. I mean, notice, he says, well, how would you rather live? Would you rather live your life in this particular way here right now, or would you rather think about heaven? Uh, none of that, none of that affects whether heaven is real. And Fair enough. The name of the video is Why Heaven? Why Is Heaven Bad? 
Um, and maybe from your perspective, it's bad. If by bad, we mean not what you're into, but that doesn't speak at all to whether the idea of heaven is coherent or whether it should be desirable for you. Maybe it's your desires that need to change. Secondly, I want us to recap that what we've heard, and I've already said this a couple of times in this video, we have heard you say, uh, indicate that we'll have total omniscience in heaven, that we're going to know everything, and it'll be the end of all knowledge, all uh, discovery, all, all those kind of things. That simply is an assertion. There is no reason to believe that's true, and I don't think that's the biblical picture that we get. Um, the absence of evil is going to make uh, is going to take away from your having free will. We've seen that that is not necessarily the case, and we've seen three different ways that Christian philosophers approach that question, and one that I uh, hold to that still allows for libertarian freedom. It's just that why would I want to go sin? That would be like eating dirt, and the idea that I'm going to eat dirt is simply absurd, and you don't have to worry about it. Just like I don't have to worry about my 35-year-old kids eating sand one day. Uh, they won't do it, and the idea that they would is absurd. So, um, and then what else? Was there anything else? No, I think that about covers it. So the idea of heaven, you may reject all of this. I get it. And look at me. I don't argue for the truth of Christianity by way of heaven. I don't say, here's reasons that I believe that heaven is true, therefore God exists and God raised Jesus from the dead. No, no, no. If God exists and God raised Jesus from the dead, Christianity is true, period. However, from there, we get into issues about the Bible and whether it's internally coherent and whether theological concepts make sense within themselves. And I think if you step inside the Christian worldview, there are answers to this guy's concerns uh, about heaven. Uh, if you're out there, holy Kool-Aid, uh, if you see this, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I don't think you're an idiot. I think you're a smart guy. I think you're asking some tough questions that most of us have asked at some point or another. I just think there's really good answers and they're not that hard. You just got to think through it and uh, speculate a little bit. If there's speculative questions, you're going to get speculative answers, but you can use your imagination a little bit, and I think you can get to those answers. So anyway, I've enjoyed this. Thanks so much. If you're interested in helping us out, if you believe in what we're doing, then maybe you can consider uh, clicking the button in the top right-hand corner of this screen or visiting us at patreon.com slash trinityradio and showing us that you're uh, willing to help us to answer these atheist videos out there with reasonable answers to these tough questions. All right, thanks so much, and I'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.